Why are we doing Pet Cemetery? They're they're doing a remake. What? They've done it again, haven't they? Why? They made it again. Because it's a beloved Stephen King novel. And he's hot right now. So if you want to remake one of his... <laughs> you want to remake a Stephen King book, now is the time to get your funding. My history with Pet Cemetery, I've seen Pet Cemetery once before, but I, it was so long ago, all I could really remember was Fred Gwynn. Um, yeah. But I know you are a real aficionado of zombie films, so this must yeah. be on your yeah, radar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. so what's, what's your history with Pet Cemetery? Have you a big fan? I am actually. I do. Yeah. I do really like Pet Cemetery. I've got a real soft spot for it. Right? Is that, um, is that a soft spot despite its many flaws, or do you actually think it's yeah. good? No, it's very flawed. I do think it's good overall. I do, <laughs> but I, I'll acknowledge it's a very flawed film. <laughs> okay. Sounds sounds like you don't like it. Not surprised. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll tell you. Is that purely because of the? Obvious flaws, or do you get a bit deeper than you know, <laughs> weak acting, <and laughs> cheesy eighties? Well, the most eighties, everything eighties. I mean, yeah, it's just a badly made film, really, isn't it? Um, it's Oof. poor Mary Lambert, one of the few, one of the first women <laughs> who's made a film that we've covered on Diminishing Returns, <laughs> and well, you're going after her. Well, I'm an equal opportunities hater. Um. <laughs> Okay, so there's two good things in this film. The cat and Fred Gwynn. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they are the two highlights. And I, I think if I've Fred Gwynn wasn't in this, I don't know if I could even watch it. And and I don't think this film would have the sort of reputation it does and a sequel if it wasn't for Fred Gwynn, frankly. Oh, absolutely. He brings so much to it. What else has he done then? Because I, I don't know well, anything else. I think he's basically known as Herman Munster and the guy from Pet Cemetery, but he's the yeah. judge in My Cousin Vinny. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, mm-hmm. yeah, notable, notable role. Um, one of the larger parts of that film. Again, it's kind of like, oh, it's like, it's Herman Munster. <laughs> um, Car Fifty Four, Where Are You? I think was quite big in its day. Yeah, I think that was very much the. I think that was what he did before the Munsters, or. If not immediately after, but he's he's done bits and bobs. He was in the Phil Silvers show for a couple of episodes. You know, he's popped up. I think he's just very much a jobbing actor who. Mm. I don't know if he was big on the uh, Comic Con circuit, but if he wasn't, he certainly would have made quite a nice living out of it today. I don't know. Um, I I love Fred Gwynn. He's a I think he's a very good actor, but I think more than that, he's a really inherently likable presence. And immediately as well, he jumps out straight away. In the first scene, it was like, oh, yes, this is going to be good. He's doing the voice. Judd Cranwell. I live just across the road. You won't watch out for that road. Them damn trucks go back and forth all day and most of the night. Do you want to do the voice, Saul? Ding dong. <laughs> <laughs> go on. Look, it's Fred Gwynn at the door. Oh, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's main, main Fred Bond. Gwynn. <laughs> Hello, lads. <laughs> Just uh, thought I'd come down that road. <laughs> Say hello. Is that a main accent? Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's supposed to be. I don't know how accurate it is. <laughs> well, it's not just Fred. Someone like everyone, like the the wife or no, the woman one. Um, sister, the woman who kills us all. Yeah, is that his, that's his sister, right? I don't know if she's connected at all. I think she's just local. She's, isn't she? she's doing the same weird kind of accent. Always thought it would be lucky to marry a doctor. 
Wish I had a doctor around with my stomach pain so bad. <laughs> Guess I'll never be lucky. Hell, I ain't married anyone. That's a main accent. Is that what it is there? I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Maine's a whole state. Maybe that's a very specific yeah, region of Maine. Maine yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really heard it anywhere else other than this film. <laughs> yeah. If you're a listener from Maine, <laughs> uh, get in touch. <laughs> if you're Stephen King. <laughs> Well, this is it. Stephen King doesn't talk like that, does he? I, I think I've heard him speak a few times. But Stephen King's from Maine, isn't he? That's his whole shtick. Yeah. He loves it. He loves Maine. He's always banging on about it. <laughs> right, so let's get into the plot a little bit. We've got a young family. The The father is a doctor who has moved his family to some rural backwater to become a, doc, a local doctor there. Now, we don't know why. But the wife's father... Well, Stephen King wrote it, so my <laughs> guess is either he's a ghost or an alcoholic. <laughs> well, this is it. <laughs> the wife's father also hates him, and I thought, I bet he's done something. I fucked him. Like, if you're a young city slicker doctor, you don't go off into the country with your family unless you, you know, you're addicted to morphine and you got caught stealing it or you killed somebody. He's got a wife. Um, she's She's... That woman out of Star Trek. <laughs> that's, that's all we know oh. about her. <laughs> the, I mean, I couldn't recognize her from Star anything. Trek. Oh, God, is it her? Yeah, the one who left... The one who shagged Data and then left. Um, so, yeah, this was what she did the next year. <laughs> uh, a little kid, a little girl who's about eight or something. Uh, she, but she is n- not... She's all right. Yeah, she's all right, but she's not fulfilling the creepy kid role, as you might expect in a horror film. No, not at all. Because that is left to a real legitimate toddler. Well, you know what? Um, You said there are two highlights to this film. I think there are three. Um, I agree with the cat. I agree with Fred Gwynn. But I think the third one is absolutely uh, the kid playing Gage, the little toddler. Fair enough. I, I, I will have to give you that. Uh, Michael Hughes, Miko Hughes is called. Yeah. Um, and one thing I have to say about Mary Lambert as a director, she seems to have a remarkable knack for directing kids and animals. I don't know quite mm. I don't know quite what it is, but the mm. performances in these uh kind of non actors is really remarkable in these films. I, I honestly Because this child is legitimately about two and a half. Yeah. To the point that, like, he doesn't come across like he can speak <laughs> yeah, properly. Well, he never yeah. does speak, does he? Yeah. he oh, he does. He bit, but... Yeah, he says the odd thing. Daddy, I love you. I'd like you something, mommy. <laughs> but then, yeah, it's, it feels... That, I mean, the, it's dubbed in, but also his mouth is moving in the words, so he's obviously got him to say it. And just had to dub it in to make it clearer. Yeah. Oh no. No fair. No fair. <laughs> but there is some really good. Well, let's wait until the... he comes alive. Well, that's an ironic statement. But yeah, he really comes alive at the end. So let's talk about him a little bit later when we moved on the plot a little bit. Yeah. Um, because for the most part of this film, he's just a kid wandering around. Well, let me let me let me try and tell you what I think is wrong with this film. Stephen King. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's Stephen King has written the screenplay, which is something he doesn't usually do. I think this might have been the yeah. first time he did it. Yeah, and he was more involved than he this did. Is, this is also peak, like, alcoholic, I can get away with anything Stephen King as well. So obviously no, there's no self-censorship, and it seems nobody else was doing it either. <laughs> and there is just a lot of extraneous bullshit. There's a whole thing yeah. with the wife's sister that doesn't add anything. There's There's a ghost. There's a ghost that isn't really connected to the pet cemetery, mm-hmm. really. He kind of explains it in a way, but just and then the the woman killing herself doesn't really mean anything. It's yep. there's so much bullshit in this. It feels like a novel adaptation that is not done well. But the fact that it's done by the person who wrote the novel, is... it doesn't stick the landing with the ending either. It's very much like, no. oh shit, how do we finish it? We've uh, kind of written ourselves into a corner here. Oh, I guess that's the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, my my memory is that the film is remarkably close to the book. That's kind of the book as it's written. But there's there's such a sim- streamlined, simpler film here to be found. Yeah. And that's yeah, what it yeah, needed. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm hoping the remake's gonna provide. Not mm. to get too ahead of ourselves, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. This is this is Stephen King. This is pure <laughs> Stephen King. This yeah. is what he does. Bloated um, mess. <laughs> I don't know if bloated's quite right, but messy mm. strands and tangents. It's stringy. That's how mm. I describe it. <laughs> like like a potato that's been left in the in the cellar for too long and it's grown green tendrils. Can I ask you a question though? Can does um in the book does it explain why this pet cat is called Winston Churchill? <laughs> uh not that I remember. Because they call it church. And yeah. they just go, oh yeah, this is the cat church. And then at one point they go out of their way to explain that it's called Winston Churchill and church is short for that. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's relevant. I don't know what, what it's supposed to mean. Is it just kid, this... just kid just like, you got to pick a name, is <laughs> Like Winston Churchill. <laughs> Not because the cat, the cat does fight them. <laughs> does he fight them on the beach? <laughs> He would if there was a beach in Maine. <laughs> I'm assuming Maine's not that. coastal. I have no idea where it is. <laughs> Maine's coastal, yeah. Not the Fuck. bit they're in. Yeah, well, yeah. They're in the foresty bit next to Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fight, fight them there. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I'm jumping about around all over the place here because I'm just looking at my notes. But um, it, the, the, the guy playing the dad. Yeah, pretty bad. Uh, I mean, obviously he's a shit TV actor. He's just very bland, isn't he? And maybe it's just because he's a bad actor or whatever, or maybe it's the writing, I don't know, but nothing about him exudes father, nothing exudes exudes doctor. There's nothing yeah, kind yeah. of that says any of that. And so you lose a lot in performance immediately. Absolutely. That that is something that works much better in the book, because obviously it's not limited by the performance of an actor, so it's just as it's written, so that character is much better in the book. He really doesn't bring anything to the role. At best, he's functional, but he, he's kind of bad in places. Um, in a real kind of cheesy 1980s way. Yeah. Is missing in heaven, do you think? I don't know, honey. I mean, different people believe all sorts of different things. Some believe in heaven or hell. Some think we come back as little children. And some think we just wink out. Like a candle flame when the wind blows hard. Yeah, definitely. It, it's really weird. I, I can't put my finger on Mary Lambert as a director because, like I say, the the acting in the animals and the kids is 
fantastic, like remarkable in uh, <laughs> this film. And Fred Gwynn, brilliant. Yeah. But then Fred Gwynn strikes me like an actor you can just kind of put down on autopilot and he'll just, you know what I mean? Brilliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. So maybe that wasn't down to direction so much. The other actors in this film are not um, not great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that guy, the, the dad is particularly bad. The mum... <laughs> Not the acting isn't a problem, but I don't like the character, and like she immediately. I agree. The character is, or like it's. I think it's remarkable that a film directed by a woman has such a two-dimensional, unlikable, (laughs) nagging wife archetype character with very little in the way of redeeming substance. And 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 the and her reaction to death or the idea of death around her child, like. Rather than say, oh, well, you know, this kid's about eight. This could be a good opportunity to teach him about death and all this, yeah. which is what Fred Gwynn is trying to do. Just really, like, scared of the idea. And obviously that pays off in this plot, but it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel smooth. It feels forced in. How can you call it a good thing? A graveyard for pets killed in the road, built by broken-hearted children. Well, they have to learn about death somehow, now, don't they, Ms. Green? Why? My memory is that all that works pretty well in the book, and I guess in truncating it mm. to work in film, because you don't have the amount of time for it to uh, to breathe, it just loses something, it doesn't really work here. So yeah, we, we get the impression that this dad character, he's gone to this little rural backwater, he's going to take a sort of quiet doctor's job, but then when we see him, he's like a surgeon in a hospital, where is it? Where is it? He's an A and E responder at least, uh, because you know someone comes in having been hit by a truck, and he's there. He's there doing trauma, um, trauma aid and yeah. first response and stuff. So basically, this guy he has a patient who dies, and then the patient sort of comes back to life briefly, but then maybe not. Is it all in his head? And then he's a ghost for the rest of it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no no explanation for any of that, really. It's just some of that's going on. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that would be my first note if I was looking over the script. Just take the ghost out. <laughs> Quite a good. I'm all right with that character and the performance, though. Actually, I oh think yeah, he, he's one he's, of the strong actors. Yeah. I'll give. Yeah, I agree. He's, he's and there's he's, a kind of twinkly charm to him as well as yeah. a ghost's go. That'd be my next note if I was like producing it or directing it. I'd be like, right, that guy's the dad now. <laughs> so this this was a, this was a one of the well I was already knew what I was getting into at this point but there's a f- first sign of something uh, problematic with this film was the ghost sort of wakes him up in the middle of the night and goes hey come and look at this right laugh they go out yeah. into the garden they go up to the pet cemetery yeah uh, and then he like goes oh yeah it's pet cemetery by the way over there don't go over there, mate. Don't do that. <laughs> um, right, let's go. And then he, and then obviously he wakes up in bed, and it's like, oh, it was all a dream. And I thought, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna open the sheets, and like his, the soles of his feet are dirty, and 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 uh, he's gonna think, oh my god, did I really go outside? No, he opens the bed sheets, 
mud caked from foot up to sort of <laughs> mid shin. His pajamas are all soiled. Like, okay, so we're not going for subtlety here. I see. I see what's happening. I think that still works as a nice. Was that all in his head thing? Like, you obviously got up and wandered around outside, but to what extent it was, you know, he went in, you know, to what extent it was an actual ghost, to what extent he actually went up there is kind of, yeah, I don't know. I know what you're saying, but yeah. It's just, yeah, I mean, that's just a good signifier of the, yeah, the subtlety of the film. Well, if if I were to pick up on your use of the word problematic there. Okay. Is that the word and, I use? Uh, <laughs> and run with it in the more contemporary meaning of the oh, term. Oh yeah, I got it then. Indian burial ground? <laughs> <laughs> Not a real thing, is it? <laughs> they don't you know you don't see Indian burial grounds in films much these days. Well this, this is a really interesting thing. Cause there was a there was a spate of Indian burial ground horror fiction in the eighties. Isn't The Shining built on and, Indian yeah, burial ground? Yeah, and I believe it can be pointed back pretty much squarely to Stephen King. The three, <laughs> the three big hitters that seem to have started this trope and this idea of cursed Indian burial grounds, which isn't a thing and has no basis in anything, <laughs> fiction or reality, before the eighties. It all seems to go back to. Pet Cemetery, The Shining, and Poltergeist. <laughs> so two Stephen King works, and Poltergeist. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, it's just it's fascinating that that took hold as such a cultural concept and a thing because I think most people just think they're real things now. Um, <laughs> You know, obviously they don't think, oh, they're magic and they bring the dead to life, but the idea of sacred burial grounds with, you know, curses on them and blah, 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 and if you build on it, it'll you'll have a Native American curse put on you. It's pure, like, fear of the other, as it were, and sort of, mm. it is very outdated, to the point that I, I doubt they'll leave it in the remake that's coming out. I, I think they'll yeah. find a way around it. Yeah, it'll just, be, it'll just be a cemetery that Produces cursed zombie animals or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I, there's probably gonna if they need to justify it in any way, it'll probably be some bullshit like, ooh, a satanic cult was doing a spell here once or something like that. I don't know. That yeah. satanists are still fair game. Sixteenth century witches, seventeenth century witches, pagans, non-Christians, <laughs> Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> I was just imagining a film where someone someone builds like a high rise on the top of a Muslim burial ground. And <laughs> so back to the film. Uh, so did you like early on the dad's looking for the cat and then the cat's like thrown in onto a tree with a noise dubbed over? <laughs> There's a lot of cat jumps there's in a lot these of, films. There's a lot of cat <laughs> dubbing in this film. <laughs> yes. And I have to say, it's weird, because like, some scenes, you'll watch it and think, wow, the, the, the foley work on this cat, the sound mix here, spot on. They've not overdone <laughs> it. That sounds like a cat. And then there's other scenes where like, they can't bear to have a cat on screen without it going, meow, meow, even though cats don't typically make that much noise. There's a bit... There's a bit where 
they're taking the they're taking the cat to the vets to have its balls taken off, and he's just stood in the kitchen with the cat basket like in his hand, ready to leave. And the the child just throws a bit of food at it, <laughs> which is obviously just the kid just yeah. pissing about. And the cat's not even that beautiful. bothered, but they make sure to <laughs> no, put a wow noise over it. <laughs> But I like that there's quite a lot with the kid. It's obviously just film this kid and see what he yeah, did and then yeah, try yeah. and work around it. Yeah. But I did like that. It I works. Like praise the director for leaving stuff like that in. Yeah, it works really moment. well. It adds a lot of character to the film, I think. Especially um, just nobody reacts to it. <laughs> <laughs> but this this cat, they live on basically on a huge... Yes, bit of woodland, woodland like and grass and fields everywhere with loads of mice for this cat to catch. But yeah, he'd really be tempted to just go and stand on that road where huge monsters trucks drive <laughs> down it. <laughs> well, it is very close to the the house itself, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but cats aren't stupid. They do see huge trucks and go, yeah. oh, I'm not going to do any of that. That looks yeah. shit and scary. Well, this is, this is one of my big problems with the film. That road is not portrayed properly. The idea is obviously almost like it's a blind, like you could easily get caught out by mm. a, a truck go fly. Cause apparently, the idea is the trucks go flying down the road too fast. It's really dangerous. It's there's a pet cemetery here because of how many animals that have been killed mm. by the road already. The idea is it's dangerous, and I think in the book they do quite a good job of making it sound like, oh yeah, it's a bit of a blind corner or something like you can't quite see. It is very dangerous, um, as some roads are. But in the film, it's just like a a massive, long, straight road. And they never quite show you like a proper angle either way, I think, because they know it makes it apparent how not very dangerous a road it is. Yeah, I just think it's a real issue with the location and how it's filmed there just never that that's a crucial part of the film it feels like yeah it feels like too much of a like and and especially because the kid runs into the road and gets run over like that's the big turning point in the plot this little kid yeah and it's just like if your kid is within sort of toddling distance to the road you don't take your eyes off him for a second (laughs) because well these guys do it twice yeah. So bad parents. <laughs> well, that's it. I don't want to blame the parents, but the the dad who is two feet away from the child when um, he turns around manages to not turn around and look at him again in the time that it takes Fred Gwynn, uh, like an uh, an old man, to get up out of the seat, go, "Hey, don't <laughs> let him go on the road," and run about five yards before the dad even turns around and sees what's going on. But yeah, anyway, yeah. But first of all, before that happens, the cat gets run over. Yeah. And dies. Um, but the the little girl, who obviously loves this cat very much, she's not there. She's gone to see uh, Grandad for, for Thanksgiving. So Fred Gwynn says, uh, you know, uh, a cat don't necessarily have to be dead. He tells him a story of when he was a boy and his dog died. So he buried him in an old Indian burial ground and they came back as a zombie. And he thinks this is a good idea to pass on, even though he basically goes, oh, yeah, my dog is never quite the same after that. And we see it attacking his mother. I like the way I like the way the mother runs away and says, come and get your dog. He stinks of the ground he was buried in. Which is an incredibly, <laughs> like, overly written bit of passive dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so... And sure enough, the cat comes back to life. 
Now, that cat, before he dies, is like this incredibly regal cat food commercial, <laughs> fluffy, glossy thing. Like, it's such a kind of beautiful animal, you know? It's a real, yeah. pro- like, pedigree cat. It, it's a yeah. really lovely looking animal. And then when it comes back, it's just like, I don't know, Just it's like, oh man, that poor thing's just covered in, like, shit. <laughs> They've just, like, made it look all mangy. They've just, yeah, like, they put, like, fake blood on the it. The makeup woman's and... just, like, dropped a load of, like, <laughs> like, say, fake blood all over this poor cat, and now it's just... And now they're probably having to, like, put one of those neck collars on it in between takes to stop it licking all the blood off. <laughs> this is what I like about the cat acting in this film. Um, the, a lot of it just seems very genuine. Like yeah. there's a bit later on where he drugs the cat, like he injects yeah. it to, to her. And, it's like, and, it's, and, they just and then he picks up and it's, cat. it's just a cat that's been drugged. It's not a fake cat. It's definitely not an awake cat. It's a cat <laughs> that they've drugged so that he can pick it up and prod it a bit. <laughs> I do like that sort of thing. It seems like a very passive, chilled out cat at the best of times, though. Like, it does seem like a real pro actor cat. Well, there was apparently they they had like six different cats. Oh, really? Um, and they tr- because they were all sort of specifically trained to do one thing. So one's the so angry use, yeah, yeah. cat. Yeah, yeah. One's the one who can be nice to you. One's the one that the toddler can throw a piece of food at and doesn't react. <laughs> yeah, the one's the one that's sedated. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, all this is set up because we've established that it can bring a cat back to life, albeit in a sort of zombie way. That is, and it's very aggressive. Not quite <laughs> and, right, yeah. Yeah, and being quite nasty. So then the little kid, two and a half year old toddler, gets whammed by a truck. Yeah, his, his shoe goes flying off in slow motion. The dad drops to his knees and goes, No! <laughs> so you know it's serious. You know he's not coming back. But you know, it's okay. A good actor can really pull that up. <laughs> Fortunately, even though he was hit by a sort of thirty-ton truck, this little toddler, very little physical damage to his body. Um, oh, yeah, sew him back together. He's all right. <laughs> yeah, it's a big scar across his face. I think that's it, isn't it? Well, there's a funeral, and once again, we get some indication that there's beef between the the dad character and his fa- and his father-in-law. Yeah, real, we don't know real why. tangent that doesn't go anywhere. But yeah. Uh, which, uh, yeah, all that stuff with the dad, the father-in-law, no, none of that went anywhere, made any sense. And then we start to see why he would not like the father-in-law because he's a dick and we see what he did to the the family when the the all the but there's no it's just none of that is really explored very well. I I kind of wish Calvin was on this episode purely to discuss the sister of yeah. the wife Zelda because that that is the sort of stuff that gives Calvin nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> a disabled woman <laughs> in pain. <laughs> Shouting out in pain from her bed. That genuinely, I know Calvin well enough. That is the sort of thing that gets under his skin. Rachel, is that you? I finally came back for you, Rachel. I'm going to twist your back like mine, so you'll never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again. Never get out of bed again. Never get out. Of bed again! Never get out of bed again! 
I'm like, not even joking. No, no yeah, and it is quite it is quite creepy. Like in terms of just sort of pure horror film stuff, it's a very oh, creepy yeah. image. It's the, there's the uncanny valley element of the whole thing because it's a man done up to look like a gaunt yeah, woman. That did not work Doing for me. A kind of woman's voice. That didn't work for me at all because it's supposed to be like a twelve year old girl. Is um, it? Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. And it's obviously it's a fully grown person, but okay, maybe it's an older sister. That's fine, but it's obviously a man, uh, and it's weird. It's just not. So you're thinking, is that supposed to be a man? Is it like you're thinking, is it going to be relevant? And it's it's just a weird. Yeah. They just they cast someone like that just to make it seem weird, and, and but it doesn't yeah. quite work. It's. It, it I, I think a, it's legitimately unnerving in a way. Like I say, I think it would really freak Calvin out. Um, yeah. But I get, I know what you're saying. It's a, it's a bit distracting almost, but I don't know. It's very 1980s. But that that storyline, I, <clears throat> I, I I made a note here that this was a really interesting concept that someone someone is glad that an ill person that was oh, a yeah. burden on them has died, and it's it's like it's a relief. But then you also feel guilty about that. You feel sad that you've lost someone you love, but then. Like dealing with all that would have been a very interesting story on its own. Yeah. And, and there's an obvious way to tie it in with everything happening that doesn't mm. really. But it, it feels it like in this film, it's it's just an excuse to have this kind of creepy, weird character. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't do anything with it. Well, it comes back later on, but even then, it doesn't doesn't feel relevant in any way. Yeah. yeah. It's that's the real messy bit. Yeah. So, yeah, so this big turning point happens where the little kid dies, and then, once again, the the mother of the family and the, and the little girl, they go off to be with her folks, just to try and get away, I think, and, and so the dad is left on his own again. It's obviously, the plot. first thing he does, goes and digs up his son's grave, uh, gets the coffin out, gets his little boy out, and there's quite a beautiful little moment, actually, when he, he digs this coffin up. Yeah, and he pu- he pu- pulls out this, you know, this little toddler, and he just sort of holds him in his arms, and like he's sort of crying and rocking yeah. slightly. That was that was a beautiful little moment of this this yeah. pure grief. Yeah. I like that moment. And then he goes and buries him in an Indian burial ground to bring him back to life as a zombie. Yep. <laughs> and uh, Fred Gwynn decides to stay up all night to stop him, and then falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> he's an old man. He's his doing purpose his best. in this plot. I think. He's trying, right? He's an old man. He's doing his best. But he does warn him against it. You know what moment? Moment I really love. Just a tiny little detail when the when the dad first asks if they ever put a human up there in the burial ground. And has anyone ever buried a person up there? Christ on his throne! No. Whoever would. His reaction of, oh, good God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's no. He knocks the bottles off the table. Like, oh, Christ, would ask throne, why would you? <laughs> yeah, that was a really good bit. Yeah. <laughs> but after the death of the child, there's some really, there's some nice, like, emotional bits that don't quite yeah. play. But, you know, the, the mother's just, like, completely lost her mind. They sedate her. The, the dad's just gone numb. And the little girl, she's freaking out. And Fred Gwynn's trying to help and then you know he doesn't really know what to do it's just this kind of nice moments and then you know we go back into the horror film stuff yeah he does the kid comes back as a as a zombie toddler with and not just a zombie toddler but a zombie toddler who <laughs> wants to kill people <laughs> because that's what this process does for some reason and it does go a little bit chucky it's not um <laughs> 
I, I don't mind that it makes you want to kill people because it, it's, you know, the, the idea I think is that some sort of, it's not the person coming back, is it? It's like some kind of demonic or at least corrupt yes. version of them. There, there's, you know, some kind of evil has taken hold there. And... Yeah. It's not even just like the kid's living his life and then like pushes him off the edge of a cliff or something. It's like he goes and finds a scalpel <laughs> like blades <laughs> up and <laughs> comes after him. Yeah. At some point, the mum comes back and she ends up dead or something. It's just the kid kills everybody. The end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not what happens at all. But <laughs> well, that's pretty much what happens. Kills Fred Gwynn. He kills everyone apart from the dad. Who kills him? Burns him. And the dad him? puts him down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and again, really great. I love all this stuff. I I think. Like you say, it's it's the performance of that kid. It's it's just I don't think I've ever seen acting from a child of that age that's like this sort of believable and it's very it's not like like this is real acting insofar as it's not just a kid who's been you know Yeah, they take the toy off it and make it cry kind of thing. Yeah, yeah it's like they're they're making it do weird shit. Yeah, they've said like scowl at him and go, I'm gonna get you and he that's what he yeah. does, you know. It's like, the bit when they, they inject him in the face with the poison and it's like obviously that's not a real injection. But well, like, he reacts like the kid reacts like it is. He's going like Ah like mm. it, it's it's great. He, he's yeah. a great little kid. He's great acting. And you know what? Like I hate kids, but I I <laughs> think Gage is a genuinely really likable little kid. Like he's a really sweet little kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He doesn't come across like a little shit <laughs> like most children that age. I like you warm to him in a way that I think makes this film work. I would love to see some B-roll making off footage, <laughs> just working with the animals and the cat, just seeing how it there's one, happens. There's one bit where the kid just sort of, you know, as a toddler, walks over, falls over something, smacks his head against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and then... <laughs> and then, obviously, an accent, but then they cut to a shot of him leaning up against the wall like he's just fallen over, and it's like... Fair play, you're working with what you've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it, like you say, it works really well. It, it's a good, that's a good bit of filmmaking. I think really <laughs> it is. Um, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure the kid was in tears for like half an hour <laughs> after that fall, <laughs> but it works. Yeah, I mean that that's it. I, I yeah, it's a very flawed film. Yeah, you've been really positive about it. I'm surprised by that. I feel like I've been very negative about it. Yeah, I mean, we've been slagging it all off, but you're doing it very much with an eye of... Oh, well, I like it. I love this film. I think it's great. It's incredibly flawed. I love it in spite of those flaws. I think it's a thoroughly entertaining film. Um, I I didn't find it particularly entertaining, to be honest with you. I think that was the problem with it. The script just did not... the, The story didn't hold up to me, and the there's these little moments that were funny, mm. if anything. But I don't know if I would say. <laughs> I mean, this good. is this is obviously my genre, so I am. This is this is like when Calvin gushes over a dreadful James <laughs> Bond film. Um, yeah. Well, what, what would you rate it then? Let's get down to the business here. Oh, you're gonna hate me for this. Uh, I give it an eight out of ten. <laughs> wow. And like, I, I, like, I'm, I've got enough objectivity that I can, I can acknowledge it really should be a seven. Well, obviously, it's not my genre, and I thought it was a bit shit. I gave it a four. 
Ooh, fucking hell. Well, that's fair, because I think I went a bit too high, but you definitely <laughs> went a bit too low. I thought you were going to say, like, a five or six. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. What? The Ramones? Yeah, the Ramones do a song. What is that about? A couple of songs. Well, apparently Stephen King is a big fan of the Ramones. Really? Uh, and uh, Mary Mary Lambert was in the music probably, industry, so she had did some a connections. Music video of him, yeah. yeah, yeah, so basically that was it, really. It's a very incongruous end to the film, isn't it? <laughs> this sort of attempt at thoughtful horror, and then <laughs> the Ramones start rocking out, doing a Will Smith level song <laughs> lyrically. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> they just they just sing the plot of the film. It's great. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. <laughs> it rhymes. It rhymes. It's Ish. Old. Vaguely. <laughs> anyway. They, yeah. they made, oh, ding dong. Oh, hello. Who was that? I'll just go and get the door. Hello, Lodge. Oh, God. It's me. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Oh, you're right. What are you up to? Just, just stop it in, lads. Just stop it in. Can I dare I ask who you are? Oh, it's, it's me, uh, main Bond, cousin of American <laughs> Bond. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are you doing out of here? Well, I, I, I've, uh, I've come down this road. <laughs> you may have noticed, lads. I've picked up a bit of a twang. My friend's <laughs> living here in Maine. <laughs> So I'm originally from Glasgow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, what do you want? All right, <laughs> just get on with your business. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here. I'm here about the Patreon. They, they asked oh, me good. to pop in. Oh yeah, good lads. We got a new subscriber. Ooh. Okay. Who one, was? one by the name of Mister Gareth Allen. Sounds like a very suspect name, if you ask me. Oh, yes. Dodgy, dodgy geezer. <laughs> oh. yeah. Thanks, uh, yeah. Garish. Thank you. Oh, yeah, um, cheers. Yeah, thanks. You should be able to get on for for free if you've been on the show. <laughs> yeah, you think so, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I actually looked into it, and Patreon do not make that uh, option available. What, a free, uh, free They don't free let membership. you gift... Yeah, they don't let you gift membership. Ooh. So, uh... Let me just take up arms. Yeah, I think you should. Pay. Everyone pay listening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, does it tell you on there uh, what what else Gareth Allen supports? Oh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. What liberal <laughs> bullshit is? Like. <laughs> 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 are you predicting cycling? Cycling <laughs> pod. <laughs> There'll be cycling. Yeah. Probably some history stuff. Um, sharp podcast. It looks like just us. Oh, he's joined just for us. Aww. Bless him. Aww, that's nice. I bet he'll it? start supporting some cycling podcasts now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, good. If if you want to go, uh, I mean, what what the fuck is Patreon that we've just been banging on about? What is that shit? It's some sort of third-party website that allows you to take money off people for a product that you provide. (laughs) 
Yeah. In this case, a podcast. Yeah. Which you can get, you get the podcast for free, of course, as always. So for your dollar a month, we, we put extra stuff up there. Yeah, extra shit. Which is sometimes uh, early episodes, if we get them edited early. Um, yeah. We have some outtakes episodes up there. Um, yeah. But the and big draw, I think, is our patented Dominisodes. <laughs> yes. Patented. Which, so, so our Dominisodes are basically when we just talk about stuff that's not a regular episode and then we chop it up and put it out and it's usually shorter <laughs> yeah i mean we're doing a lot of our we're doing our kind of recap when we've both seen a film covered on the show we're, mm-hmm. we're putting those out as diminisodes and we're putting them out quite a lot we, we seem to be getting about more than one a, more than one a week i'd say mm. yeah 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 so, definitely. so it's lots of bonus stuff so you get four diminisodes a month on average what's that 25 cents that's yeah. fucking bargain. What can you get for that these days? Yeah, Wouldn't even yeah. throw that at a tramp. Like, you could give the uh, 75p, that's about what a dollar is, you could give that to a homeless person in need of money, but they're probably just going to spend it on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> or, you, you could spend it on drugs instead of us. <laughs> Have a better time. Or, <laughs> what you should do is take that 75p, give it to a homeless charity, and then give us 75p on Patreon, a dollar, as like a thank you for giving you the idea to support <laughs> <laughs> uh, Who can afford 75p a month these days, though? Well, with well, Brexit yeah. and everything. Hey, but you know what? If you are flash with your cash, nothing shows off quite as effectively as just chucking us a bit of money. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> patreon.com forward slash dimreturns.com. And if you are a woman lady, patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. Yeah. End. That's the yeah, end yeah. of that. Did I put an extra dot com? You put an there? extra dot com in there, yeah. Turn that on the edit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you are a wooing a lady, just send her a screenshot of all the all the shows you su- all the things you support on Patreon, and she'll go, yeah. oh, wow. This guy has got taste. Calvin Dyson Bond Reviewer has now got a Patreon as well. Hey, yeah, so yeah, if you, exclusive. If you are one of our many uh, common fr- fans, you, uh, you can you can support him as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does spend it all on drugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but you know, it's... he thinks just because they're prescription drugs, it doesn't count. <laughs> it does. <laughs> so, if we can get back to the films, Dead Pets. Pet Cemetery 2, with three years further on the line, it's 1992. Mary Lambert returning. Yes, same director, different writer. I believe the first um, Pet Cemetery was very successful, financially. Yeah, apparently. So the studio were quite eager to move forward with another one. Stephen King had his name removed from the project. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, he's not credited. Well, I know he's not credited, but did he have it removed? Yeah, yeah, he, he did, like yeah. Well, I don't know if it, I don't know if he saw it and asked to have his name removed, or if he just took issue with the very idea of them making a sequel to his thing from the offset. But yeah, he definitely told them to take his name off it. It's interesting because my first comment on this film would be how true to Stephen King's writing it is. <laughs> no, no? <laughs> how much better a script it is, just much more a slick, well, streamlined film script. Interesting. Um, I mean, basically, Pet Cemetery Two. Um, people seem to be coming round on it a little bit, but for a while, this was an infamously bad film. 
pointed to as like traditional awful sequel. I find that very interesting, and just to sort of put it all out there right at the beginning, I think this is better than the first film. Well, that's interesting, because uh, I also think this is an incredibly underrated film. Like you say, I, I think it it stands vaguely toe-to-toe with the first one. Well, like I say, for me, it's better, and that is mostly down to the script. It's just, it's much more, yeah, it's slicker, it's a properly written-for-the-screen script. Um, the acting is better. Yeah, Edward uh, Furlong the ca- is The cast is better. Uh, Edward Furlong's a weak link, but he mm. is a kid, so you can kind of let But that's go. it, my... My first note was like, oh, this, when I just saw the names coming up, I thought, oh, this cast is a lot better. But yeah, actually, you know, Edward Furlong, not very good. Anthony Edwards, he's a solid TV actor. So, you know, I've got no problem with him particularly. Clancy Brown is, is the highlight. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. I, Clancy Brown is, I mean, he's a real, I want to say he's a real fan favorite. I don't know if that's quite true. I like him a lot, but he's never really had a chance to, to shine, has he? I don't know. Feels like he, he should be like a cult yeah. actor, shouldn't he? It feels like he should have a lot more, yeah, credibility on that. Because he's in Highlander, isn't he? Villain Highlander as well, isn't he? It's like yeah. that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, and he's Even in the Shawshank Redemption as well, by the way. Another Shawshank Redemption, the villain in that, yeah. And uh, he voices a lot of cartoons. He's got a lot of very iconic uh, characters under his belt. He's Mr. Krabs in SpongeBob SquarePants, for example. I would say Clancy Brown has a very distinctive voice. He does. So does yeah. he make He's a living Luther, off that one voice, he? or does he manage to create a lot of different characters? Well, yeah, Mr. Krabs doesn't sound like Clancy Brown, really, does he? Oh, it's Clancy God. Brown doing a kind of I, 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 I'm a pirate, yar kind I've of. Never really thing. watched it. <laughs> but yeah, when he's Le- when he's Lex Luthor, that is just Clancy Brown doing his voice. Well, Clancy Brown in this film, it, like the voice that Clancy Brown's do, the accent in this film, that's the main accent. That's like. What Fred Gwynn took and <laughs> went, took it to eleven. <laughs> That's there what are times when he's kind of doing a, a Fred Gwynn kind of thing, but then there are well, other times it, yeah. when he's he just, just sounds like a normal person kind of talking. Your mother spent the last hour cooking. Now you stop being a little jerk and show us some appreciation. But, but having said that about the cast, that my initial response: was, oh, this is good, but you know, nothing particularly special. In terms oh, no, of but in the film. Clancy Brown, Clancy okay, Brown but... is the Fred Gwynn of this one. He is the scene stealing guy and the kind of scene stealing yes. horror, like chewing the scenery kind of. Yeah, it always just feels a little bit undirected. Actually, I agree. Yeah, it does. yeah, it's just like he's they've encouraged him to mess about, especially when he later on when he's doing the the dinner scene and he's messing about with all the yeah, food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. It feels completely lacking in yeah direction. Um, yeah, like they haven't quite figured out what this zombification process does. Yeah, they, they still yeah, haven't yeah, worked yeah. that out, and why it affects That's people. In the the biggest weakness of the film, I think. Yeah, there's also the dog. I mean, again, the animals in this film are a real highlight. The animal acting, the dog gives an incredible animal performance, but some of the actions they get out of it, particularly when it's attacking them later on in the film, and it's like jumping up on the doors and stuff it's like wow like how the fuck did they <laughs> there was one that? shot that definitely like someone had thrown a dog at because <laughs> it didn't like naturally hit it and fall it was like side on <laughs> like it was trying to shoulder the door in <laughs> and its eyes as well again they do the thing with the eyes and it's really very effective yeah the plot here is you've got this woman she's an actress she gets killed in an accident 
uh, presumably a John Landis set. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's an odd uh, opening scene, isn't it? It's a weird choice of uh, intro into this world. Uh, so her young son, who is what fourteen or something, supposed to be thirteen, fourteen, yeah, um, and her, her estranged husband are now dealing with that death, dealing with their grief. They move to the summer house. This kid has to go to a new school. And he gets there to deal is with bullies, and the all most sort of thing. Two dimensional bully, I think, ever committed to film. Yeah, and that's going some. There's been quite a few yeah. we've we've seen, even in even yeah, these, yeah. these films we've looked at. But, I mean, this is a bully who will kill a cat just, <laughs> just to torment someone. He doesn't kill the cat, though, does he? No, but he puts it in danger. No, he doesn't. He, he, well, that was it. Like when not, I guess not. I they, guess you're they right. steal the kid's kitten and they like, run away with it. And I was thinking, like, if that was me, like, if, if something happens to that cat, I would smash this kid's face in. Like, oh, I would yeah. absolutely get. And then later on, when the dogs get shot, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. It's a dog. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so, I'm you so know what? about the cats. <laughs> I hadn't even put it together, but I, yeah, when when the bully ran off with a cat, I was like viscerally like, yeah, that mother. If that fucking cat. Gets like a hair on its head. Uh, I will. I'm. And you're like you say. Then he, Clancy Brown picks up a gun, shoots the dog. Well, yeah, completely unjustified, like, and... like equally unjustified and like horrible and tragic for the owner and all that. Don't care about yeah. dogs. <laughs> but yeah, so but the, the kitten is fine. Um, and like yeah, they haven't hurt it. He says he's hurt him, but you know, all he's done is like put him in a place where this kid's scared to go. Like it's like that's bullying stuff. But yeah, very very two dimensional character, like you said, and it, it's such standard. Like, oh yeah, I'm the new kid. The bully's annoying me. I've made friends with the fat kid. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's so... pretty good fat kid. Yeah, he's good. Good actor. I don't think I've ever seen yeah. anything else. But yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just basic by the numbers stuff. One of the biggest issues with this film is. At times it almost feels like the people you bring back from the dead are like at your beck and call, like like a like a master slave dynamic mm-hmm. that never quite makes any sense or goes anywhere. And I don't think it's intended. I think it's just kind of messy filmmaking, messy writing. But obviously Zowie the dog jumps in to defend um yeah. the little fat kid. Um, I think the idea is it's his dog, and there's still enough of his dog inside the the zombie version. Yeah, it's just like heightened up and aggressive. So I think the idea is his dog is protecting his owner. But then later on, when Clancy Brown, uh, when his character's killed and brought back, spoilers, he he goes to dig up the kid's mum on his behalf. And there's yes. sort of a weak attempt at justifying it on a personal level, but he he starts working with that kid. Well, I got the impression that it was whatever this demon or spirit or whatever that comes back through people. He's mm. trying to get more. He's trying to produce more people. Yeah, there's and he's that trying to kind of well. encourage that. That's why yeah. I thought he was helping him. It feels like a half baked plot element that yeah, would have been would have been fine had they kind of elaborated on it a little bit. It's a surprisingly bleak film. I mean, I know it's a horror film, but like 
they just kill the fat best friend and his port mother. Yeah. Just like that. Like, <laughs> in a really quite tragic way. It's very. And they never really deal of... with the aftermath of that in any kind of emotional sense. Yeah. Well, can we, can we touch on... So, obviously, uh, Clancy Brown plays this policeman. He's the stepdad of the fat kid. Is mm-hmm. he a stepdad or just the new boyfriend? He's basically a... He's a living boyfriend, figure. at least, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a good, healthy relationship. He's a prick. Um, I think the first few scenes paint a very uh, nicely nuanced, believable portrayal of a man trying to lay down a degree of authority and and what's best for this kid that isn't his and stumbling. Um, I think maybe the third scene with him onwards just throws out the window and just has him shooting a dog and like slapping people around and stuff and it's a shame because like, it's, it's a wasted uh, bit of opportunity there. I think this film would have been a lot better had he been a three-dimensional character yeah. who you could feel sorry for on some level who then just goes off the rails when he's brought back to life. Yeah. And this, and this is, I think this is a good opportunity to talk about what's kind of wrong with the film as a whole in that it kind of knows it's not taking itself seriously, but it, it won't go like yeah. Evil Dead. It won't go, yeah, it, it yeah, doesn't yeah. go down that route that it it's obviously wants to. And then it, so then it gets kind of mixed in half and way between and doesn't quite work on either level. Yeah. But that's what I prefer this from this film to the previous one is that this, the first film is so po-faced and this one, it really does not, feels like it's not taking itself seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But to jump to the end, and, and frankly we haven't really mentioned, the Edward Furlong character, that he's the one dealing with the grief of his mother dying and all that, because then the kind of story gets shifted to the fat kid's kind of story, but Edward Furlong's always there for the ride. So then obviously having seen that this magical thing can bring people back to life, he's like, right, I'm going to bring my mother back to life. Yeah. Even when it's happening, when he's doing it, you really get a sense of this kid is unhinged he's like he's lost his mind a little bit yeah yeah. because it's obviously not a good idea and then the dad is kind of not quite sure what's going on he's trying to stop it i I felt like the film was trying to go for some sort of deeper meaning you know about accepting death as a part of life and kind of having to deal with grief sometimes death is better sometimes dead is better uh i feel like they're going for some deeper meaning here it's just never done and and like i think if you make it a, a nice clean analogy or, or or even not like you don't even have to be analogous about it it is about people dealing with death and you're just making it physically manifest rather than an emotional thing use it do something with it but all they're doing is like oh this will be a kind of scary cool thing and it never gets past that i think this is a perfectly enjoyable bit of horror tosh yeah should we rate uh, yeah, well, uh, like I said, I gave the first one a four. I gave this one a five, yeah. um, and I was leaning towards a six, honestly. But the ending just sort of became a lot of nonsense. So. Yeah, I I had this film as a six, but upon rewatching it and again getting as much out of it on a repeat viewing as I did and enjoying it as much again, I bumped it up to a seven. Like I said, I think it's perfectly mm. enjoyable bit of horror nonsense if that's what you're into. Um, I've seen films of this ilk done a lot, and I've seen them done a lot worse than this. I think this is alright. So that's interesting, because I, I think that means that both of these films have averaged out with the exact same score between yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so... I understand they're doing a new one. Yeah, They're doing a remake. I watched the trailer. And now, all I knew was John Lithgow was in it. I assumed he was playing the Fred Gwynn role. I was yeah. quite excited about that. I thought he's perfect for that. 
yeah. And then I watched the trailer, and it's just it looks like it's very taking itself very seriously and straight, yeah. and there's no comedy involved at all. And I think that's a big mistake. I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I like the story. I like the book. These directors, I've not seen any of their other work, but they they come with a degree of credibility because I think they've done stuff that's been quite well received and how they've been speaking about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And it's primarily because John Lithgow is is up there with my favourite actors. Yeah. Um, it just looks like shit horror cliche stuff, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I'm having a hard time getting excited for it. But I, I am looking forward to watching it. But let's say we were given free reign yeah. over the franchise. What would you do? I've got this one sewn up, so I've got a pitch for you. Have you? It's a two-word pitch. Go on. Chuckle Brothers. <laughs> Fuck. What, Barry brings back Paul? Barry is mourning the loss of his brother. Is that the right way around? Have I got that right? I don't know. No, no Barry's dead, isn't he? Is Paul <laughs> still alive, I think. I don't know. So Big Barry, Big Barry, is mourning the loss of little Barry. <laughs> no, wait, shit, no. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Big Chuckle. Is mourning the loss of Little Chuckle. Yeah. And so he hears about... Well, obviously, this will be the second part of the film that's after they've had a pet die. Uh, actually, I was thinking you could tie it in with, <laughs> with the pet thing. You know Keith Harris and Orville? Yeah. Right? So Keith Harris wants to bring Orville to life. Now, Keith Harris is actually dead, so it doesn't work. <laughs> if you have Keith... Rod Hull and Emu? Oh, no, no, what, no, he's dead at all. What's the, oh, what's the woman? You know, the I, at work. The cheeky monkey. Who's that? What's her name? Oh, God. Uh, Um, Nina Conti? Yeah, 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 yeah. Nina Conti wants to bring Monkey to life. (laughs) And Tom Conti plays the Fred Gwynn character. I was having a discussion with someone at work today about how they should bring, how they should do a Freaky Friday body swap movie with Rod Hull and Emu. And the two have to swap round and live each other's life for the film. So it's Rod Hull running around biting people. And Emu chasing after him, trying to stop him. I think that should be our pitch. Um, would you be tempted to make a, a sort of actual sequel? Um... I, I Yeah, I was thinking about this. I, I really would. I, I think the idea of Pet Cemetery 3 would be... I think that would go down very well in the on the horror circuit. I think you obviously wouldn't call it Pet Cemetery Three. You would perhaps just call it Pet Cemetery and market it as a kind of fresh reboot remake. But it's you know, it's just a sequel with new characters set in the same universe. Yeah, yeah, in the same world. What about the girl from the first one? How old would well, she be? I, I'd be yeah. I'd like to see. What would she be? Late thirties. Um. Yeah, it's 30 years ago, the first film. Yeah, she's about eight in that. So I was going to say she's probably close to 40 now. But yeah. but there you go. She could she could be in the um, the kind of old... Um, the Fred Gwynn role, almost. Obviously, she's not that old, but she could be the kind of... She's lived there and dealt with Maybe this. she's she's grown up now, and she's got a kid of her own, and she goes back to that place because like she's had years of therapy and she's learned it wouldn't know. There wasn't any ghosts and... and and zombie pets it was just mm. your dad went mental and killed your mom and and so she's like convinced herself that you know nothing supernatural happened but i don't think she knows any about 
oh, isn't she supposed to have the shinning in the in the first film? And then, but it's not really. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To be honest, I, I as much as I'd like to see something dealing with her and her character, I think this isn't marketable. Mm. You don't want to tie it too much into these films from the eighties. That. Yeah. Okay. What about this? <clears throat> How? What do I have to do to convince you to have? Yeah, our, our regular, our, our old, like Fred Gwynn type character played by Vince Vaughn. <laughs> How, can, can I convince you of this? Maybe. I mean, come on, yeah, try. You can try. I'm not convinced. <laughs> no, you do know, that. I just, I'm just thinking of the Psycho remake. I realised it's a bad idea. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, I think who, who I reckon, would you get? Because John Lithgow is a good shout. I reckon if you let him be funny. Oh God, yeah, it? yeah. I mean it. <sighs> Well, it depends. Like, it depends. So, who, who, what are the characters moving in? A family, young family, young family. Okay, but uh, these days it would be professional mother, stay-at-home dad. Uh, we've had a young fam. We've had a family in two, okay. two other films. Uh, what, can we have something? A te- bit like- teens, teens on a summer vacation. <laughs> That's been done. <laughs> Sarah. Something like a frat house could open up in uh, in the old house if there's a, a nearby university, but no, not in that little backwoods town. What if they've built a new bypass, right? So now the road is just desolate, and now it's, so now it's like there's nothing there anymore. It's like a ghost town. So a writer goes out to work on his new, yes, his new. And Stephen King would write it because it's about a writer. So exactly, exactly. This <laughs> is it. This is how we. This is how we get Stephen King's <laughs> condoning it again. <laughs> get him on the poster. So it's about a writer going off to um, work on his uh, shit, um, or or her shit. Let's have a female protagonist for this one. We've had a guy in the last few, and so that means we can have a creepy old man played by John Lithgow in the Fred Gwynn role, and we set him up as, like, a villain, because we think, oh, creepy old man, it's a bit too interested in this woman in this cabin. Not cabin, this, like, house out in the middle of nowhere. But it's because he's concerned, because he's seen the writing on the wall, he knows what's going to happen. Uh-huh. If, if she goes down that road... What, uh, about, what about if she's, like... Maybe she's, like, say, early 40s, uh, but she's never had a family, she's never had kids... And like oh. people judge her for that all the time. Yeah. Uh, and but she's got cats. She's got. She's got. <laughs> she's, got a, she's got a cat that she obviously like, loves like a a child. Yeah, this is good because you get you get someone who's like known for being quite an attractive young film star who's a little bit older now, and so she frumps up to do this very good character role. All right. They love they love doing that. <laughs> I I want. Look, I, right, so the beats I want. I Basically, we need an interesting character in the lead role, because we haven't had that yet. We need an interesting <laughs> local supporting. Actor, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we need them to have a loved one who dies that sets everything in motion. But yeah. I want this one to end with more of a zombie apocalypse, like, give the people <laughs> okay. what they've come for. Yeah. So, like, like you say, more of a thing of, like... They keep making more of them, burying the old ones in the cemetery. Or maybe not even that. Maybe when someone comes back from the pet cemetery, they're just infectious. Maybe it's like the local, a local historian, like a, he's trying to write a local history, but everyone's like saying, "Ah, oh, you don't, we don't talk about old times right now." Yeah. Uh, so he's has to like prove it. He has to prove something. Like he goes up to the pet cemetery to try and. Oh, so he inadvert. So it's not like a dead loved one. I like that. They're just. It's like a scientific. 
hey, this is this is big in horror now. They're a podcaster. They're a true crime <laughs> podcaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Played yeah. by Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they bury a dead animal. A dead German sausage, and it comes back to life as <laughs> Kevin Smith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bury a sausage up there. <laughs> a bit of pig comes back. But yeah, they do it as an experiment, like they find a dead rat or something. And yeah, 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 and, and, it, like, and, it, and it has worrying results. I do like the idea of someone doing it once as an experiment and then it works, and it's like they've got this dog or whatever it is that is like their mad attack dog, and they're like, oh, I can raise an army of zombies, and then like they put people up there, and so it's just simply to like raise an army. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what they would do with it, but it's just like they go power Yeah. Mountain. So the problem is, I've been tr- I've been trying to make this work in my head as like a more legitimate, serious film, but I don't think there's any way to make it work with going mad at the end. So let's just make it a silly comedy about zombie pets oh, attacking case, yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in which case, yeah, you just have a silly comedy person burying like it's a it's a disgruntled zookeeper. They bury all their animals up. That they they put all the animals down, bury them, and then the town's attacked by zombie elephant, zombie alligator. Zombie, <laughs> hyena, everything. Perfect. And John Lithgow is in it. <laughs> he's the elephant. Because he signed on to make this film before we <laughs> changed what it was. Him. So he has to do it. <laughs> yeah. hey, he's not above this. He'll do anything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, there you cool. go. Horror comedy, Pet Cemetery 3. I think comedy is definitely the way to go with it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. It's the only way to... There's too many stupid elements that would let it down otherwise. The only other way to do it is to kind of take basically the plot of the first one, but do it as an emotional drama and and use it as an analogy for grief and the acceptance of death. That's it. You've got to make it a really small scale, one-on-one kind of affair. Not really really use it as horror. Not not really use it. Less theatrical. Yeah, yeah. You know what? There's a there's a film that touches on similar elements. Not sorry, not a film. There's a book that touches on similar elements that I really like, uh, called Handling the Undead, by uh, the guy who wrote Let the Right One In. And basically, everyone who dies over like the course of a couple of hours one day inexplicably comes back to life, but like lacking mental faculty properly like as kind of zombies but not like harmless you know not eating people or anything like that and it deals with the kind of political and social ramifications people being very unsure about it people wanting to round them up and not let them outside of these like cages until they're like sure what's going on and Mm -hmm. basically the film uh, fucking hell the the book focuses in on a dad and his son who just died who um obviously comes back and he kind of runs off with his son to try and like keep him safe from people who are going to turn against these zombie people and you know he has like he stinks of death and he's washing him and washing him and it is it's quite low key quite small um really good book that actually quite really enjoying yeah, it yeah, and, good. so maybe they should just make that into a film <laughs> That's my pitch. <laughs> Alright, I'll go with that. Yeah, good one. Pet Cemetery. Done. Well, thanks a lot for listening to our podcast, huh? Uh, we're about ready to go along the road, please. 
but we'll be back next week with another episode all about Hellboy. If you like the show, why not go along down that road to iTunes and give us what you might call a five-star rating. Been many a year since we got a five-star rating. Well, see you next week, then.